I got to get all my notes and stuff squared away up here. <clears throat> I'm glad I got a few of my cheering section back here today. We'll be glad when that whole row gets filled up with these young ladies. They're my best listeners. Uh, let's see. Rarely do I ever announce my sermon topic ahead of time. So you're kind of special. I'm going to announce it for next week. Don't bank on it, but I'm going to tell you what I think I'm going to talk about next week. Our favorite game. Please try to be here and listen to that. I'm very happy to get to come and visit with you again. I really appreciate the elders asking me to do it. Somebody pointed out to me again this morning that this is going out over the internet. And in fact, someone told me that for sure we got somebody listening to us this morning as we sing and pray and preach and study in Scotland. My granddaughter by the name of Lindy and her family is listening right now. Hello, Lindy. Listen, join with me. Everybody say, hello, Lindy. Good. We're glad of that. We're glad it goes out to those that can't be here or shut-ins and all kind of things. And so that's good. Just get the word of the Lord out any way that we can. I'm a... Uh, very glad to be here today, and the elders have asked me to come all during the month of April. That's four Sundays. Four. I think they might be a little more optimistic about my longevity <laughs> prospects than I am. I quit buying green bananas a long time ago. But uh, anyhow, it's good to be here, and I'm very thankful for it. In fact, listen, whatever age you are, let's be optimistic about our life. Because uh, I know that I don't have much longer to live, obviously, but that's all right. We still have life. But we've got to remember this. The reality is all of us are going to live forever. See, we forget that sometimes. Just make sure where you're going to wind up for that forever bit. That's very important. And that's what we're here for today, to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for giving us that great opportunity. Paul, in the great Corinthian letter, the whole of the 15th chapter, it has 58 verses in it. It discusses that very thing, living and dying and going to heaven. It's a wonderful chapter to read and study about. 
But I better get started here. I've been introducing too long. Today is Easter Sunday, and a good part of our country in one way or another will do some celebrating about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's good, and I'm glad. However, in reality for us, every Sunday we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. We just got through in a very solemn part of our worship, the Lord's Supper. And it's, uh, it always touches me, and I'm sure it does you, as we think about what Jesus done for us. So we, we do it every week, the Lord's Day. And that's the Apostle Paul says, in reality, what we're doing today is the gospel of Christ. He wrote to the Corinthian brethren, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel that I preached to you, which you receive, wherein you stand, and by which you shall be saved. And I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, how that He was buried, how that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture. That's the good news. And we, every day and every way we think about that. And in a special way, we do it together on this, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. So I'm going to kind of talk about an Easter sermon, sort of. But I'm going to approach it in a little different direction. Throw something up here on the board for me. Now that's a picture of a picture. That's a kind of a scroll picture. I got a small one right here. Same thing. Now, I know you can't read all those little lines in there. Don't worry about that. You can read the title, and he shall be called. Now, let me tell you about that picture. One of my sons lives in Shreveport, Rod and his family, and Laura and the boys, and... Uh, that's the boy that died last year. But anyway, he lived with his family in Shreveport. When I'd go up there, I always go to spend the night or two with him. And he'd put me in the same bedroom. And for a number of years, I slept there many times in that same bedroom, same old stuff on the wall, everything. But one time, a few years ago, down right at the end on the wall, my bed's right here, and I'm looking right down there at that wall. He had put a new picture. It was big, four feet tall, two and a half feet wide, in a frame, nicely framed. This picture right there. He had ordered this big scroll from somewhere, and then he had it framed. And I was laying there looking for something to read, get me sleepy to go to bed. And there was that picture. And I started reading it. Now, you can't read it, but it goes down there. And he shall be called. See, it's talking about Jesus. And then it starts giving descriptive titles that Jesus is called in the Bible. 
Advocate, Shiloh, the resurrection and the life, shepherd and bishop of our souls, judge, master, lord of lords, rock, man of sorrow, savior, head of the church, servant, high priest, living water, bread of life, and on and on and on. And it was interesting, and I, as I was reading down through that, I was sitting there, and I'd think about how was he, why was he called that, this, in the Bible? And then along about the time I got to the end, I was sleepy and went to sleep. It was pretty good. Well, just a minute. You see, this morning, that's a hearing aid. I was real careful to change batteries before I came down here. I always do for a preach. That went out. Wasn't supposed to. So I'm just half hearing now. Okay. But anyway, on this list here, there are 33 descriptive titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. 33. And I, next morning I bragged on his rod. That was a nice picture you put up on, in that bedroom. And lo and behold, in a week or two here, he come down to my house with me one, and he had got me one, put it in the frame, and I put mine up right on the wall down at the end of my office where I sit at my desk and I can look at it. And I'd read it, and I'd think about those names and why Jesus was called that. And uh, I got to thinking, well, you know, I can think one or two more than's up there. So I laid me a sheet of paper right on my desk, and every now and then when I'd think of a new name, I'd write it down. I didn't know where you'd look up list of names. Back in those days, we weren't using Google like we do now. But I had me four or five more names than this 33. I was thinking if I could pat myself on the back, I would, getting pretty good. But then one day I was looking through my, some strange book of the Bible and back in the back in an obscure place that I'd never looked was a, another list of names and I counted them. There was 99. 99 different descriptive titles of Jesus that he's called in the Bible. Later, right now, you can punch up Google and you'll get between two and three hundred. I'm not sure about all that the ones Google picked. But there's lots and lots of descriptive titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was reading through them a lot of the one time I was sitting there thinking, he's called Shiloh, Rose of Sharon, Bright and Morning Star, Emmanuel, Dayspring, Advocate. I got to thinking, Ray, which is your favorite? And I couldn't make up my mind. They were all wonderful names. And then one day I was doing some casual reading from the Bible. I don't know about your Bible reading. I do two kinds of Bible reading. I do Bible reading that I do when I'm trying to study or present a lesson or I'm uh, concerned about something. And then I do casual Bible reading once I lay up and read before I go to sleep at night, like in the Psalms or just casually, just open the Bible somewhere. 
And I just opened that Bible today and said, I'll read along a while in Revelation. And I was reading Revelation 1, 2, 3. And then I got to my, my two, about my favorite chapters in the Bible, Revelation 4 and 5. I like to read about that because John, for the first time, gets a direct look into heaven, the throne room of God. And he looks up there and he sees all of the things that just blow away your mind. Of course, he's looking at the throne of God and, and there was all manner of, there was beasts and four and twenty elders and the sea of glass and creatures and angels and praisers and singing and worshiping and all kind of things going on up there. And he looked on the throne and there was God himself. But a little bit further in the book, he goes on down and he said, and I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne. He looked at God on the throne. Then he looked on his right hand and he saw someone on that right hand of God. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. That's the Son of God. That's why he's called the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that was slain. And I decided that's my favorite. Why a lamb? It's interesting. The last chapter of the whole Bible, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, starts out, incidentally, in that last chapter, Jesus speaks to us four times. You know what three of the four times he said in the last chapter of the Bible? Behold, I come quickly. Don't forget that. I preached on that a few months ago. But in the other one, it said, John said, when he looked in that last chapter, again he saw the throne, and again he saw God, and there sat beside him the lamb that was slain. Why a lamb? Well, animal sacrifices had been introduced long ago, in the very beginning. God told Adam and Eve and his, uh, their prodigy to start offering sacrifices. And Cain and Abel got in trouble by offering the wrong kind of sacrifices. It was greatly enlarged later through Moses and the children of Israel. <clears throat> and uh, they began to offer sacrifices according to God's all manner of animals, cattle, goats, sheep, doves, agricultural products, uh, uh, grains, and they would offer them to try to do something about their sins. 
And that sacrifice went on for thousands of years. They would offer hundreds and millions and hundreds of millions of animals and plants in every conceivable way in a vain attempt to get rid of their sins or roll them forward or uh, put them out of God's memory for a year. Solomon uh, was allowed to build the first great temple to God. And uh, when he did, and that temple was finished, on the day it was finished, he offered 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as a sacrifice unto God. Sadly, all of this only partially worked. For a little time, temporarily, the sins were kind of bundled up and rolled forward. At the end of the year, you'd catch that bundle plus the new ones for the next year. Can you imagine the storm of sins that were accumulating in all of the world? Not a single Sin had ever been forgotten or forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Never a sin forgiven. From the beginning until the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. In fact, when Jesus was born, he was born under that law and lived under that law of Moses. He and his family often went down from Nazareth down to Jerusalem to attend the great Jewish feast days, Passover, Pentecost, and so on and so forth. And while they were there, no doubt they participated in the offering of animal sacrifices. Don't you know that was hard for him knowing that one day he was going to be sacrificed like those lambs and goats, oxen were. And this had been going on for thousands of years. And yet, still, not a single solitary sin forgiven. And God looked at this wonderful world he had made with this humongous problem of every sin on our shoulders. What can be done? He knew the answer. It had to be a perfect lamb. And he knew the only perfect lamb was his only begotten son. Can you imagine the dilemma that God faced at that moment? Knew the answer to our problem, but it was his only begotten son. I ask you, If you had been God, what would you have done? 
I'm pretty sure what I would have done. Not sacrifice my son. But fortunately, God so loved the world. Why did he love this world so much? I guess it was because he had created it and made it sort of like we produce our children and we love them and we would die for them. And he had made this world, it was his little child as it were, and everything in it and he saw that it was good and then when he made man he saw that it was very good. And he hated to destroy it. And we were headed in only one direction, destruction. The weight of sin in itself was going to bury us, annihilate us. But he had a remedy. But it was only begotten son was the remedy. And when all of it was hanging in the balance... God decided in our favor. Don't you ever forget that. And Jesus obeyed his father. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. You know, that fateful Friday that he was crucified, I wonder why they call that Good Friday anyway. That was a bad Friday in every respect. But on that day he was crucified, it seems like the whole world turned against him. All of the governments of that land, kings, rulers, high priests, everybody turned against him. They began to shuffle their bureaucratic shuffle. Pilate, him and Hod, and finally said, what is truth? That's an ironic thing to ask. He was looking at total, absolute truth. The leaders of, the religious leaders of the world of that day, the priests, the high priests, they turned not only against him, but they turned vicious and judgmental, hypocritical, calling out, let him die. They wouldn't accept a lesser punishment. Crucify him. The crowds who had just a few days before called, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord as he rode through the city of Jerusalem. Now they turned against him, hostile and cruel, and watched him as he trudged towards the cross with a, the beams on his back his closest friends, the apostles. 
One of them betrayed him, said, I never knew him. Others slept while he prayed with drops of blood on his forehead. Another denied him, forsook him. And finally, at the end on that good Friday, there was nothing left at the cross at the foot of Jesus' feet except a few women and perhaps John and the crucifiers waiting for his death. And then at the last moment, when everybody else had left, the one he had been with throughout eternity turned his back on him also. God the Father left him. And Jesus cried out in the most agony we can't imagine. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No wonder when the old apostle John at the end of his life got that Glorious look into heaven and saw the throne of God he saw right there by him. The lamb that was slain. But then something happened. Early on Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Enjoyed the singing. You're doing a good job at leading singing. Still mad at you for leaving the Quincy, but we, it's all right. <laughs> Y'all got a songbook, same one we got in the Quincy. Now, naturally, we put the songs up here, and that's good. We don't use the books much anymore, but you got, they come out of the same book we got in the Quincy. Got over a thousand songs in it. got over a thousand Bible scriptures in it. I don't mean symbols, but I mean batches of Bible scriptures in it. Lots of it. Lots, pretty big, thick book. Other than that, it's got two poems in it. Two. Only two. Strangely enough, both of them written by the same man. His name is Latane C. Scott. He wrote both poems. We're talking about the resurrection, and this one is about the resurrection. And I wanted to read it. It struck me when I read it. I've read it many times, but it struck me. First time I read it. You have to listen close. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. It is the whisper of the first breath. It is the rustle of grave clothes being laid aside, folded 
and squared on a cold ledge. It is the sound of fingertips brushing along a hewn wall and pre-dawn darkness. It is the rasp of a stone wheel grating in its track. What unearthly stillness greets this once corpse as he surveys the earth that had been his torture chamber. I hear these sounds across 2,000 years and my lips strain to speak to him. I want to tear away my garments of death. I grope through my darkness, my shoulder falling against the weight. This sound I hear, this sound I hear is the sound of my Jesus rising again in my heart. And boy, did that change things. That changed things. The one question that we hadn't been able to answer. If a man die, will he live again? That's what we really want to know. This life ain't enough. I'm 95 and it ain't enough. I don't want it to end. You don't either. It was answered when Jesus came forth from the dead. His cowardly apostles turned into pillars of strength and missionaries to the whole world. The great majority of them gave their life for the cause of Christ died terrible deaths in his name. That empty tomb brought forth miracles of every kind, not the least of which people born again of the water and of the Spirit. Their sins washed away, unheard of. Revival meetings were held all over the world and churches sprung up and in due course, the evil Roman Empire who oversaw the destruction of the Lord Jesus Christ temporarily went back to the dust from which they came. And Christianity still stands today a monument of our relationship to God. And Jesus still sits on the throne with God, awaiting His Father's call to come back and get His children. He still sits there, the Lamb that was slain. Judge, ruler, master, 
Emmanuel, High Priest, Redeemer, Holy One, Son of God, Savior, my Savior. I hope, I pray that He's your Savior too. I know that the great majority of you here today are Christians going to heaven. Don't forget it. It's all right to die. We got another life, an eternal one. And I know that the most of you are Christians. God bless you. But maybe there are some of you here that aren't. I believe with all my heart that to every person in this life as we live, God gives us doors and windows of opportunity. What do you mean by that? I mean, He allows us to come to a fork in the road. You can go up or you can go down. Paul, one time he was preaching to King Agrippa. This was a heathen Roman ruler. Worshipped idols. And Paul reasoned with him about Jesus Christ, the same thing we've been talking about today. And as he reasoned with this hardened idolater, it touched him. You see what happened? God allowed him to come to a fork in the road. I don't know how long many times he'll do it or how many opportunities he'll allow, windows of opportunity, but he gave it even to that heathen ruler and Agrippa was touched and he said, Paul, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. But he turned away to our knowledge, never became a Christian. If you haven't, if you have a faith in Jesus Christ and are not a Christian, if you'd be willing to repent of your sins, live for Christ, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized today. You're going to have your sins washed away and your soul will be as white as snow. And you'll have access to the blood of Christ which will help you to stay free from the condemnation of sin as long as you live here. And if you need to do that today, don't put it off. At the end of the road you'll be glad that you did if you're weak or wandered away and need prayers we'll pray for you and with you any way we can help you obey the gospel won't you come while together we stand and while we sing Jesus is tenderly